As of this morning, we have covered 60 books of the Bible. We started a year and a half ago, and we've only got six books to go. This morning, we come to the book of Haggai. Haggai is toward the end of the Old Testament in the cluster of 17 prophets. Twelve of the prophets were preached before the exile, two during, that's Ezekiel and Daniel, and three following, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. We've got the last four books of the New Testament left to go. We're saving the best till last. On Father's Day, two weeks from now, we're in the book of Malachi, which addresses dads and their kids that God will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, and we're going to uh, dig into what that's all about. I think you'll find that encouraging. And then in July, we complete the whole Bible with the book of the Revelation. And I breathe a big sigh of relief. Hallelujah. <laughs> we made it. Haggai. It's the second shortest book in the Old Testament. Two chapters, 38 verses, Four words from God. Four prophetic oracles. The first one is chapter 1. The second, third, and fourth are in chapter 2. Four words from God through Haggai. Haggai is the only person in the Bible with the name that means party. You'd never guess, would you? It literally means festival, fiesta, party. You'd think Haggai is like this old guy, kind of crippled and barks out these prophetic words. No, change your image. Haggai, he's the original party animal. You know, you can tell a lot about a person by the way they party. I've often said you can tell a lot about a person by the way they celebrate New Year's Eve. I want to show you a cycle. It's a cycle that I think may be helpful to us as we think about this this morning. Get this up on the screen, please. The cycle. When you're a kid, what's a party? It's balloons and gifts. It's a party. You get a little older, now this doesn't apply to all of us, but for a lot of people, you get a little older and it's beer and wine. That's a party. You get a little older for some people and it gets from there a little worse. It may involve excess drinking. It may involve, and we're thinking particularly here of New Year's Eve. Vomiting. <laughs> Depression. Such depression that it, you think of ending it all. But then, it gets better. You come to Christ. And when you receive Christ, there is another party. The Bible says that the angels of heaven are partying. And then, as a Christian now, there's a whole new level of celebration that happens we celebrate our new life in Christ. And every Sunday, we approximate the way it's going to be one day when we're 
with him forever. Which reminds me, the eventual reality is a great wedding party, a wedding banquet with the Lamb, where we will celebrate even as we did today the price that Christ paid, but the one who died is now alive forevermore. Now, God loves a party. Don't look at me like that. The prodigal son, it's the prodigal God who's being described, this lavish father who gave his inheritance to his son who wasted it, but it didn't end his love for his son. When that son came back, what did the father do? The father threw him a party. party and had the fatted calf killed, and, and there was a great celebration. And the older son, who didn't run away and squander his wealth, was all upset and hot under the collar because of the extravagance of the father's love. But that father represents our heavenly father who loves to celebrate the redemption of God that's realized in our lives. The last book that we studied before Haggai was this book of, who remembers? Right, the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you. He's right in the middle, and he's mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. We don't picture God doing cartwheels over us or getting excited or launching fireworks or popping the bubbly, but he does. He rejoices over us because he is a celebratory God. Our problem is when we are immature, all we know is celebration on this level. But the more we mature in Christ, the more we get ready for our heavenly, eternal celebration, we recognize that there is great joy in Jesus that is greater than any joy you can get out of a beer can. Yes. Amen? Amen? Now, if you're a beer drinker, um, that's your problem. <laughs> I, I'm not, and I'm proud of it. Yes. No, I, I shouldn't say that. I'm not because I found that there is more celebration to be had in Jesus Christ. Yes, yes. It's true. Haggai is getting us back to the great discovery. In a sense, the whole book of Haggai, all four messages, they're four party upgrades. Don't settle for this when you can have this. Don't settle for this when you can have this. Don't settle for this when you can have this. Don't settle for this when you can have this. In many ways, the whole Christian life is going from one party upgrade to another. Now, I don't want to cheapen this, but I believe that there's, there's truth here. God takes us from finding joy in the wrong stuff to changing our hearts so we now find true, lasting fulfillment where we were intended to find it all along. Are you with me on that? Now to the book of Haggai, the first oracle, chapter 1. Please follow along with me this morning. 
the word of the Lord comes to Haggai, and Haggai preaches the word to the people. He identifies, first of all, two people in particular, Zerubbabel and Joshua. This is not Joshua who fit the battle at Jericho. This is Joshua, the high priest who lived many years later. Now follow this. Zerubbabel is the workplace leader. He works in the marketplace. He is the governor. Israel had a problem. The problem with Israel, after they were released from Babylon, 50,000 made their pilgrimage back to Israel, resettled Israel. They took the wood from the mountains in Lebanon, the cedars, made paneled houses for themselves, but God's house was never rebuilt. They were not politically a self-sustaining country, nor were they spiritually having any organized worship. And so Haggai calls Zerubbabel and Joshua, the political leader and the spiritual leader, to team up and set the record straight, to change the course of the nation. And God rebukes the nation and says, what are you doing? You're celebrating in your own houses. You eat but are never, never have enough. You planted but harvest little. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in purses with holes on. Then he says, honor me. I want a house where I can dwell in. But notice specifically what he says, verse 8 so that I may take pleasure in my house and be honored, says the Lord. He's looking for a place where he can be celebrated and where he can celebrate with his people, where they will take delight in me and where I will take delight in them. Now that's the word of the Lord. Now the response, the second half, beginning with verse 12 of Haggai chapter 1. Here again we see the response of these two leaders, Zerubbabel and Joshua. Zerubbabel, again the political leader, Joshua the spiritual leader. And it says the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord. And because they obeyed and feared the Lord, the Lord went over and above. Now watch this. We see the response of the people, verses 12, verse 12, and then verse 13 is the response of God. God now speaks to the people a second time, I am with you, verse 14. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the spirit of Joshua, and he stirred up the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They were supernaturally activated. They'd already decided to obey God but once they decided to obey God, they needed God's supernatural power working in them to be successful. Now, that's a, another beautiful picture of the Christian life. We can want to obey God, but remain unable to obey God without the help of God. Did that make sense? I better try that one again. We can want to obey God, but we have a deficiency. We're not able to. 
So God, once we say, I want to obey you, God will then stir our spirit and enable us, give us the power to obey him. And that's what he did for Zerubbabel and Joshua and the whole remnant, all 50,000 of them, are now spiritually activated to be able to respond in obedience. So what are they doing? They are deciding to worship appropriately. It's been said of our culture that we work at our play, we play at our worship, and we worship our work. Did you follow that one? You better write that one down. We work at our play, we play at our worship, we worship our work. Because it's the money that matters, so we worship it. We are big on exercise and recreation, so we work at that. And when it comes to worship, we put an hour, hour and a half on Sunday, and we play at it. I'm not saying we all do that, but that's what's been said of our culture. That was definitely true in Haggai's day. They worked at their recreational activities. They worshipped their work because they needed to work hard, hard, hard. But when it came to worship, they were laissez-faire. They were careless. And the word of God comes and calls them, you've got it all backwards. I want you to put worship first. Build me a place where I can take pleasure and where you can take pleasure in me. And then the Spirit of God activated them to be able to fulfill that calling. Now we come to Oracle number 2, chapter 2, the first nine verses. The word of the Lord again comes to Zerubbabel and to Joshua. And he asks the question, are any of you alive who saw the glory of the former house of God? Because though they were now active rebuilding the temple, the looks of the current temple paled in comparison to the one Solomon built. And because there was such a discrepancy, they were discouraged. And then God says, verses 8 and 9, hey, if you saw the former glory of that former house, I've got news for you. The glory of the, this house is going to exceed the former glory of the other house. Now, how could such a thing be possible? The way it's possible is because the glory of the former house was not in the ornate uh, wood or the gold-covered pieces of furniture. The glory of the former house was in the presence of God. Nobody fell on their faces when the temple was built. They fell on their faces when the glory of God came into the house, and then they fell on their faces. And what God's saying here is, my glory is going to fill this house. And it was ultimately fulfilled when Jesus came into the temple, and as it says in John chapter 1, verse 16, Uh, Jesus Christ, the Word, full of grace and truth, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the one and only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the glory of the latter house is none other than that of Jesus Christ. Now, this is a party upgrade, if you will, because the first 
upgrade was go from having your own party without God to now building a place where you can celebrate God and God can celebrate you. And now this second oracle is saying, but don't dwell on the outward appearance. Dwell on the, the reality of my presence among you. That's where the glory is to be had. And a true celebration doesn't just celebrate the hour. Oh, isn't this a nice building? I like the open rafters. The wood uh, paneling is, is awesome. I love the, uh, uh, the way this building's been constructed. Look at the nice view we have. It's not in that. It's in the fact that God is in our midst as we gather. The presence of God is in this place. And that is what we rejoice in. We come to Oracle 3. It's another upgrade. And he begins by saying, do you remember when you had mildew? Do you remember when you, life was like an uphill climb? Do you remember when you went to the vat to draw measures and there wasn't much to be had? Do you remember how difficult things were, how I struck it all with mildew and with hail, and yet you did not turn to me? Give careful thought. Now that you are upgrading your worship, you're giving God proper place, you are recognizing his presence among you, then it ends with a tremendous promise, from this day on, I will bless you. From this day on, I will bless you. God is promising, and this blessing is a holistic blessing, but God is promising here that when we put him first, he will meet our needs. It's essentially the same call that Jesus gave John, uh, Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all other things will be added to you. And that's where the promise comes, Haggai 2, verse 19. From this day on, when you put me first, when you recognize my presence among you, when you take more joy in that than when the stock market goes up, then I will bless you. I will provide every need that you have. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Then we come to the fourth oracle, beginning with verse 20 through 23, the end of the book. It ends with Zerubbabel. Now, having everything else been addressed to the political leader and the spiritual leader, Haggai ends with the workplace leader, Zerubbabel. Um, I want to ask you a question. There's probably only about six of us in the room whose primary calling is to serve the nuclear church inside the walls of the church. Most of us are called to serve in the workplace, whether it's a medical doctor down at CDC, a school teacher who's enjoying their summer vacation, a computer programmer in real estate, whatever your calling is, how many of you are called to serve primarily outside the walls of the local church? May I see your hands? This is not a trick question. I just want you to, to own it, to, to claim that as your calling. Yours is the Zerubbabel calling. Now I want you to see where Haggai ends. When we think of upgrades in worship, Normally we think, well, that's for Fred, that's for Don. He's the worship leader, Fred's the pastor, that's for those guys. This is a whole book 
calling for worship upgrades, but it does not end with Joshua, who was the high priest. It ends with Zerubbabel, who was the governor, the guy who worked outside the walls, so to speak. And it ends with this incredible blessing. Because you, Zerubbabel, have gotten this right, because you are no longer giving priority to padding your own nest and getting a new car and a bigger house and a fancier whatever, because you are now putting worship first. Look at the promise that God gives to Zerubbabel in the final verse of this book, I will make you like my signet ring. Now when I was 13, my parents bought me a solid gold, it's a heavy, it's so heavy I don't even wear it anymore, but a solid gold signet ring. I was from one of those New England families that prided themselves in their heritage and loved the family crest, and, and we've got the family crest. Now, I'm thankful for my heritage, but my parents got me an engraved signet ring. And the thing is huge. When the price of gold went up, I was tempted to sell it, and I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. But, I mean, the, the signet ring, I mean, when I would go out on, to prom night, I'd put on my signet ring and pick up my girlfriend. And, I mean, that's, you hardly ever would wear the thing. But, but when you wanted to kind of show off, you'd wear your, my signet ring. Well, God is saying to Zerubbabel, I will make you my signet ring. I mean, if, if I were in your shoes, we've got the... CFO of Mercedes-Benz Atlanta here, you know, whatever you're calling. Zerubbabel would be my hero. I mean, to so get it right with God that me serving in the workplace, AJC or wherever it is that you're working, that you're going to be God's signet ring. That is impressive. It's not something that you'd want to just claim for yourself, but when God tells you that, God is saying that to you. Not to the high priest, but to the governor. When you can go in Jesus' name, you see, when you get worship straight, all of life becomes sacred. Are you with me on that? When you recognize that God is holy and he stamps holy to the Lord over every area of my life, my home life, my marriage, my family, my sex life, my everything, my eating habits, the way I invest my money, everything about me is now holy to the Lord. It's not my own anymore. My job is not my job. It's what I do on assignment by God. When I get that straight, all of life becomes an act of worship. And when I serve God in the workplace, we're running a cleaning business or whatever it is, I am held in esteem by God. He calls me 
his signet ring. And at that point, he ends by saying, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Hallelujah. Haggai 2, verse 9 ends, and in this place, I will grant peace. There's amazing peace that God gives to his people in his presence. I think of that great scripture, the last verse in Psalm 16. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are treasures, pleasures forevermore. To know his presence the way Haggai called the people to know his presence. And in that place, he grants us peace. The place of belonging, of well-being, through and through. May God do that for each of us. Would you stand with me, please? We've selected a song to end with this morning that I think you will enjoy. It's, um, it's a song that goes way, 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 way back. It comes from the Middle East. It's Havenu Shalom Alechem. Peace be with you. It starts a little slow. It's got a very pleasant little sway of a swagger to it, but it really gets moving, and it may even move your pastor to dancing up here this morning. I'm not sure what may overtake me, but just remember the thrust of the message that the Lord calls for a good, healthy celebration. Amen. <laughs>